I get busted in 2001. I go to prison. I guess I said this to eight and a half years. And in prison is where I reached the lowest point in my life. I, I contemplated suicide. I mean, I lost everything. They took, you know, took family. Just, I just came forth. I was married at the time. Wife divorced. Custody of the kids. It took my business. It took the cash. It took care of everything. And I was going through a really rough time. And fortunately for me, there was a guy that came. It's a long story, but he really came in and he sort of helped change things for me. Uh, and it, what, it, what, what it called, he did like this meditation thing. As, as my needs, my, as my basic needs started to get met, I think the goal became more broader and it became more about making an impact. Um, how do I make a difference? How do I make an impact? How can I structure? Where do I need to be? Where do I need to be financially so I can give this much, right? If I want to give this much, say 10%, how, how much more I got to make. So that, that became the driving force. of, And so I started to give more. And the more I gave financially, the more it, it pushed me to, to, to push my, my income and net worth more. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, the show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires and Bell Podcast. This is episode number 320. Unfortunately, we don't have Stace with us today. She is a little bit under the weather. Actually, she's not under the weather per se. She just doesn't have a voice, so it uh, makes it difficult to uh, be on a podcast when there's no voice. She uh, has been crushing it last couple weeks. She did a triathlon a few weeks ago, and then this last weekend did a Ragnar relay and did 15 and a half miles. And between that and the dust and hanging out with some girlfriends and stuff, she's lost her voice. So uh, yeah, this episode will be just me. Don't have a ton for housekeeping today, but if you have not heard your story, reach out to us, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. We'd be happy to get you on the show, get you scheduled, always looking for new great guests. Recently had a few people review that they would like some more Deca Millionaires. So, and lucky for them, we have got one today. In fact, his name's Charles, his net worth is $12 million. A remarkable story of redemption. He uh, spent some time in prison after being a drug dealer in Hawaii in his early years. Grew up in some rough neighborhoods there. And uh, so, yeah, we get into the, the things that kind of turned his life around. And, and that was uh, meeting some people in prison that helped him get back kind of on the track of earning money and learning about wealth. And so uh, had a couple, couple uh, great conversations with those people that he kind of took on as mentors and uh, read a couple things, a couple books that he had never read, one being a, a Tony Robbins book. And uh, yeah, so he's got a net worth of $12 million. Most of it's in real estate. Keeps very little cash on hand and actually rents right now. So great episode and conversation with him. Last week we had Casey and on the most recent episode on Thursday, we also had a soon to be million. Actually, he was a millionaire and then dropped below. So we released that episode about $900,000 and that was Tim. So great episodes from last week. Seems like y'all are enjoying those Thursday episodes. So we'll uh, continue to do them and, and got several other non-millionaire interviewees that will drop in those episodes coming up. So if you haven't done so already, please leave us a rating and review. Continues to help us grow the show and get great interviewees and great guests. And yeah, with Without any further delay, let's get into the episode with Charles. Charles, you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Um, yeah, sure. I'm from Hawaii, beautiful place, Hawaii. Uh, actually, originally from the west side of Oahu, which is uh, Waianae, which which is uh, mostly known for being the the, the lower income, the, the place where you know a lot of drugs, crime, 
uh, violence, uh, homelessness um, originates from. Uh, but the one of the most beautiful places on the island, in my opinion. Um, and so that's where I'm from. That's where I grew up, came out of uh, low-income housing um, and, uh, you know, found my way into real estate. And I'm a real estate developer and investor right now. I'm probably one of the larger, largest uh, developers in my city. I'm over there trying to uh, make an impact in my community. From a real estate standpoint, I, I brought down like the first uh, like gourmet bakery into Waianae. Um, got the only credit union uh, in my city uh, as one of my tenants. Uh, bring number one voted breakfast place in Hawaii out in Waianae, which is in, which is unheard of uh, considering Waianae's past. And so, just uh, uh, being a part of that from a real estate standpoint, also from a community uh, a standpoint, I sit on the board of uh, one of the largest nonprofit health centers out there. Uh, we have over 600 employees, uh, and we also focus on uh, those who need uh, who need food because obviously there's a lot of people in the city that that do go hungry. They don't have a lot to eat, and so we 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 oversee a a food bank that helps feed uh, a ton of people out there, from kids to uh, elderly, um, and 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 in the middle, in between. So a lot of great stuff, programs out there, farmers markets, uh, just doing a whole bunch of stuff out there for the community. I'm, I'm, because I'm from Waianae, that's become my passion to to help and uh, uh, give back to the community and make a, a biggest impact as I as I can. I'm also just a little also donated a hundred thousand dollars to my elementary school, which is which is voted the last worst school in Hawaii uh, out of Waianae. And so I made a, a, a promise to want to affect the the school system. Hopefully, that will make a, a difference. And so we are we bro- breaking ground on uh, renovating the uh, library and and turning it into a more modern learning center. Wow, that's uh that's pretty awesome. And and for our guest, uh, you know, I just recently spent some time in in Hawaii, and no joke. Before Charles and I recorded this, uh, you know, I was driving down through these areas because we were staying kind of on the western side in Colina, and most tourists don't go to Waianae, most likely. And yeah. I was like, well, we might as well just drive down this way. I've never been this way. I've only been to Hawaii one other time. We should go check it out. And as, as Charles describes, it's, there's some absolutely gorgeous beaches and some gorgeous areas. But I had the thought of like, it seems like there's some rougher neighborhoods, but there's definitely somebody who, you know, from an investment standpoint, has put some dollars in here because you have some of these newer, uh, you know, nice looking uh, fast food joints and some other nice buildings. And here you are. <laughs> telling me that that's you which is pretty yeah, wild and, and pretty remarkable yeah, that's, that's, I, those are my buildings yeah that's awesome so what is your net worth today uh today as you spoke earlier it, it has dropped a little bit since covid so i'm somewhere around 12 million was okay over, and you went as high as 20 uh just i just cracked 20 uh right before wow. COVID. yeah wow and what is the the breakup of that is it mainly real estate commercial real estate buildings yes i would say 99 percent uh I well, we, I use my wife and I use the term ninety eight point five because she's a uh, she's a radio host on a number one radio show in Hawaii, so it's ninety eight point five. So we'll always, <laughs> it's ninety eight point five a percentage of my of my assets in real estate. It's a pretty accurate number. Awesome. And then you obviously have a, a primary residence too, as well, correct? Yes, I do. I rent. Oh, you rent? Yeah. Rent your primary residence, but we're twelve million and have commercial buildings. That's pretty. Uh, that's pretty wild. How come? How come you arrived at that decision? Um, it was mainly out of convenience because I, I do own, a, a, I lived in a, in a, you know, a big, good size home. Nothing, nothing luxurious. 
nothing, nothing people would be wild about. I've had people who know that I, you know, live there and I've had like, um, for instance, it was a funny story. My, my personal assistant, someone was talking to him in Starbucks and said, he, somehow my name came up and said, oh, you work for Charles? He went, oh my gosh, where did he live? Where does he live? And so they he wanted to know my house, right? They've heard so much stories about me and, 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 and whatnot. And so he takes them to my house and he says, they look at my house and he goes, what? He lives in that? <laughs> I, guess, I guess he imagined something much more elaborate, but uh, my home is very, very, I live very, very simple. Uh, but it's a good size home, six bedroom home, um, probably worth about maybe 1.5, 1.6 mil, you know, which is pretty average here in Hawaii. But uh, I had moved out because I had, during, during this time where my network had dropped during COVID, which I'm not sad about, but uh, I had, I had a couple deals that the, the funding dried up. Like it just literally, and like in the middle of escrow, like it just never happened to me for where we close a deal, we go to signing and funding's going to be there in two days, you know, however long it takes right after you sign and it records and the money doesn't show up and the company bankrupts, like it just goes dark. And um, all this money that's supposed to be going to deploy to one of my projects just wasn't there. And then. So I ended up selling off some of my properties, had a heart attack, decided I wanted to slow some things down because I usually keep about maybe two to three, maybe four active projects going on at a time from, from multifamilies to ground up development to, you know, to, to um, you know, uh, maybe even a, a renovation. Um, but at the time I thought, you know what, it's, it's a good time for me to just slow down uh, and, and, and relax a little bit. But because of that, I was in, long story short, I ended up uh, moving into a one bedroom in the front of my house. I have a studio in the front, uh, moved in there. My, my, my daughter and her family moved in and then my mom moved in. And then, uh, I ended up meeting uh, someone who ended up, you know, becoming my wife and we ended up getting married. And so the one bedroom was too small, but I wanted to be around next to my kids. Right. Cause they live, you know, I, like I said, I love Makakilo. We have a, a beautiful view. I do want my, I do want a ranch. That's my dream. I want to, I want to own a ranch, but those don't pop up very often. So, I just wanted to stay close to my family, and it was a, it was more convenient for me to rent in the meantime until I find a ranch. Is that a ranch in Hawaii, or are you gonna find a ranch on the mainland? No, in Hawaii. no, no, here, yes, in Hawaii. Cool. Yeah. So, and you keep very much cash on hand, or and nothing in the market. Uh, I might have a little stuff here in the market here and there, but it's just to play around and gamble. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not, I know that's not really my, that's not my niche. I'm not going to hear pretend like I can make a ton of money, but if I see something that, that just, just makes logical sense, you know, like during COVID it was like, okay, all this stuff can't be worth this cheap. Let me just, so I actually jumped into the market during COVID when everything started going down. And I, I like, I just, I did the, uh, uh, just in the index S and P 500 bought a couple, uh, uh, you know, shares in uh, like carnival cruises and the airlines, you know, bunch of little, you know, stuff here and there. And just, I kind of let it sit. Cause I'm not, that's not my thing. I don't do it every day. So if I see something that just doesn't make sense, that it shouldn't be this low, then I might jump in, but not a whole lot. You know, I might, I might put in maybe a hundred grand or so, but, uh, you know, I probably keep about anywhere from about maybe three, 400 at max 500 K on hand. Interesting. Is that pretty consistent throughout all of your real estate development career is keeping, you know, less than three, no. 5% of your net worth or have you been no, cash no, heavy no, at different no. times? No, it's all, I've always been broke most of the time. I was always broke. <laughs> just barely, just barely getting by. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't get, don't get the number confused. It was, it's, 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 you, the numbers look good, but man, you, the whole time you just trying to figure out how to, how to make it, you know, for the next several months. It's because I bought and hold. Like I bought and held so much property 
And so yeah. when you buy and hold property, you keep acquiring. Man. I mean, unless there's somebody else out there that can show me how to do it, you can live a better lifestyle. I live like, like broke for a long time, just, just accumulating and accumulating and accumulating and just kept putting money into deals for a long time. It lives like super cheap, like broke. I think I, I didn't move out of my, my parents' house when I came out of prison. Uh, that's when I started buying real estate. Like, I learned real estate in prison. And so I bought my first house, I think like a year and a half after I got out of prison. Uh, I think I didn't move out of my parents' home, which is low-income housing, the low-income housing I grew up in. I didn't live out of my parents' house, move out till I would home like maybe 14 houses or something. Wow. So let's let's kind of rewind. Who, where did Charles start? I mean, you mentioned that you came out of prison and you, and you started learning real estate there. I mean, take us back to the, to the early days and, and bring us on this journey that you've gone on that's been pretty remarkable uh, by most standards and probably will give a lot of people, you know, hope regardless of their situation. Uh, yeah. So I, like I said, I grew up in low-income housing in Waianae. Uh, parents just never went to school. So education was important to them, but it was, when you don't, we don't have an education, high school is enough. So if you can just make it to high school, you know, that was, that was a win. So I finished high school. I had this drive to be successful, but there was, there was no examples in my community. I, I, well, the only example there was, was there used to be. So like I said, my, my area is known for crime and the last organized crime figurehead in Hawaii came out of Waianae and was from Waianae. And it was, it was alive during the time he's dead now, but he was alive during the time when I was a young kid. And so I grew up around these, uh, uh, you know, gangland slayings, right? Guys shot in the head, burned, car burned, bodies getting all chopped up. That was, that, was, that was what I grew up around. And I met him once, not personally, but I remember seeing him in 7-Eleven. I must have been about 15. Seen him walk in, mean looking dude, like just craters on his face. He just looks nasty looking. Uh, but he had his very nice smile and he's being nice to this little girl. And I seen this guy behind him with a bodyguard. Pulls up, you know, he pulls up in his Cadillac. And for me, that was my first experience meeting someone. For me, it was like a celebrity. Like, well, this is what success was. And I think that just implant, implanted a, that little idea in my head um, that I could never shake. Eventually, I found myself in the, in, in the drug game, uh, end up, in, I mean, I'm not, I'm not advocating it, but you know, for a drug dealer, I did pretty well. Most, most people think you're a drug dealer, you make a ton of money, which ain't true. <laughs> it's like the success in a drug game is similar to real estate. You know, probably, you know, out of 300 people, maybe one person, you know, really kills it. So it's similar in a drug game. So I did pretty well, you know, for a 20-year-old, um, opened a nightclub, had a recording studio, you know, came out with several number one hits in Hawaii. Uh, I was, I was, uh, I think I was trying to be the, the Hawaiian puff daddy at the time, but, uh, I, I ended up, I ended up getting busted, uh, see around 2001, I got raided, uh, about 20, 26 of us all went, all got busted, all went down. I had a, I had a sheriff in my case is my friend who, he, you know, bringing all the drugs from the airport. He, he worked at the airport, um, had a bunch of guys, we know you know, uh, out there. So I get busted in 2001. I go to prison. Like I said, this to eight and a half years. And in prison is where I reached the lowest point in my life. I contemplated suicide. I mean, I lost everything. They took, you know, took family. Just, I just came divorced. I was married at the time. Wife divorced. Cussed the kids. It took my business. It took the cash. It took care of everything. And I was going through a really rough time. And fortunately for me, there was a guy that came. It's a long story, but he really came in and he sort of helped change things for me. Uh, and it, what it, what, what it called, he did like this meditation thing for me and man, it just changed my life. And I had to wonder what, what, what was that? What just, what just happened? And I got obsessed figuring out what was that. And then I figured out I, in order for me to find out what it was, I needed to try to, I wanted to seek it out. So I started reading. When I say I started reading, I, I never really read. 
you can at that time you can graduate from minor high school without being a good reader. So I'll pick up these books and I had to carry a dictionary because I couldn't get past a few sentences without understanding certain words. And so the very first book I picked up was uh, Tony Robbins' book, uh, Awaken the Giant Within. That was the first book I read ever. And then I just started reading. And I think from that point, reading and want, deciding that I, I, here's a way for me to change my life. There's something I can do differently from what I knew. And I just kept reading and reading and reading. I ended up getting to my destination in Taft. When I got to Taft, fortunately for me, I went to a federal prison, which is a white, and I went to a white collar prison, which is mostly white collar people. And there's no fences. There's no barbed wire. So I'm locked up with these guys who like smart, uh, uh, wealthy dudes like I would be watching 60 Minutes and the guy they're doing a story about in 60 Minutes who was a campaign fundraiser dude is sitting here with us in prison. You know, I got Tommy Chong from Cheech and Chong, I don't know if you remember him, but he's across from me. His roommate is a, a, a Jordan Belfort from Wolf of Wall Street, right? I'm standing up every day talking to these guys uh, uh, during count. And so, you know, you got hedge fund guys. You got really, so I'm surrounded by guys that I would never have had opportunity to meet while, you know, being raised on growing up on the West Side. And they had nothing but time. So they sat down with me and just taught me. They said, hey, you know what? You want to learn this? I'll teach you. You know, my roommate, who was the guy, the machine used to test your eyes, you get your eye test, whatever. He's the guy that, 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 that uh, founded that company. He's a medical inventor, Harvard MBA grad. So I'm watching him raise 20 million from my bunk bed. You know? um, so that's where, I kind of, that's where I got all my education. I figured, hey, I got the time. These guys got nothing but time. And I'm just going to utilize that time as much as possible. So I studied a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I mean. I didn't waste any time. I didn't waste time watching movies. I was hanging out with everyone else. It's, you know, just because when you're in prison, a lot of guys just try to, you know, pass the time through as much as possible. But I just, I was hungry. And I, I, that's when I kind of just turned it on and, and devoured as much information I could, especially real estate. I read a ton of books, every books, ran like hundreds of deals, make believe deals, going through newspapers, look, oh, looking at this property and running deals and showing, showing the guy who teaches me, he's like, well, you can do this and you can do that. And so by the time I came out, and I was hungry and I had a ton of knowledge. Why did you settle on, on real estate? What was it about real estate that, that made you think that that was the avenue to take after you got out of prison? I felt like I, I assessed something that happened for me and I, and I assessed my situation. The best way I can explain it, it's almost like, it's, it's almost like if, if a general is going to go to war or you're going to go to war with, with, with someone and, and you're going to look at kind of, well, what do you have? What resources do you have available? How many men you got? What kind of weapons you got? And so that's kind of what I did. I was like, okay. What do I got? You know, I don't have an education. Well, I did end up going to a school in prison, but I mean, that, that's not going to look good in resume. <laughs> so I, 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 I don't, I, I realized that I can't compete. My weakness is I won't be able to compete in the corporate world. There's just no way. So I'm not going to make money going corporate route. Uh, I'm not going to work my way up. I'm not going to be able to have a great resume. So that, that led me to go, okay, well, I have my own business. Okay, if I'm going to go into my own business, what area in business can I go in that I have a shot at at least competing? And so when I assessed that, I said, okay, what, what, what skill sets do I have? And I, I had construction skill sets. I, uh, I, knew, I, I knew construction. And then I thought, well, what, where can I go with, with it? And I, I said, well, when I looked at, when I studied a lot of people who were successful, I, I noticed a pattern that they all at some point owned real estate. And I thought, okay, Harry, if I get into real estate, I can use my construction experience. There's no limitations. Um, and, you know, my, my, my record th- doesn't matter. Yeah. And so that's kind of, that's kind of how I, I decided. So I didn't know exactly what I was going to do in real estate. I just knew that that was the, the direction that I felt like I could at least have a shot at competing 
Yeah, for sure. So you, you get out of prison and you're going to go pursue real estate, real estate development, investing. What is that like trying to get the first few deals under your belt to give you confidence that one, I can do this Two, my construction background that, that I have is going to help me be successful transitioning into this kind of new career for me? I think I, I had the confidence before I got the deal. And I think the confidence came from, and I think it was probably from this mentality I got, because I, when I was a kid, growing up in Waianae, when I first got, got to, I got to Waianae when I was like five, my parents moved on there, and I got bullied as a kid. And I remember after me being bullied, I saw this, you know, this woman with a, a karate gear on, and, you know, I got, got a flyer, and I went to sign up, so I signed up for karate. And um, I remember just training a lot. I would just train a lot. And I got really good really quickly because the desire not to get bullied. And then I started competing. And then I remember when I was competing, what I would do is I would, in order for, to give me the confidence before the day of competition, I would work hard. I would wake up earlier. I would train hard. I would train so hard to that in my mind, like I, there's no way this other, the other guy's training as hard as I am. There's no way he's doing this. There's no way he's being strict with his diet. So by the time I, I walked in there, I already walked in there with, with confidence. And so I just used that same technique uh, in real estate. I was, I was grinding so hard. I must have read, oh, man, over 500 books, I think, in prison. A lot. I rent, rent hundreds of deals. And so there was so much confidence that I had that when I, when, when I would look at a deal or look at a property, and there, might have, there was this little like, oh, wow, this, you know, this new, and that, that, that little fear would come up. But because there's so much momentum, I felt like there's so much drive, and I wanted it so badly. I had a strong, strong reason why to do it. Uh, my dad was at the time, he was still alive and he was getting old. And if he had a retirement and when he died, which is I knew was not going to be very much longer, my mom was screwed. So I had this timeline ticking. Like I, I, need, to, I need to hurry up and get this done. So I had, I had a lot of confidence already by the time I was doing deals. But when I did my first deal, it was actually my mother's, in my mother's home. I bought their home, which is a leasehold property. Which for those familiar with real estate, there's this thing uh, called a gift of equity where you, you don't have to put the down payment if you're getting a property from a relative or a parent. So basically, I got the loan for the 80%, and I, don't, I didn't need to put down the 20%, you don't, which you don't need to if you're getting a property from a family member. So that's how I did the first deal. I bought that from them. You some of that money to pay off the debt because my, my parents went into debt while taking care of me while I was in prison, like 40000 debt. So I needed a way to figure out how to get out, get that debt from under. So I, by doing that, I was able to pay off down some of that debt. I was able to take some of that money, pay off the money that I, I borrowed for the uh, pizza restaurant I had bought while I was in the halfway house. I borrowed that money from my aunt. It was like 30 grand. And then I took my parents... My parents now didn't have a loan on their mortgage because they, I bought the property and we went and bought another property under their name, which was like a USDA loan, which is 100% financing. And so I got another property under their name. We, we all moved in that house and between their, my dad's retirement income, between what I was making and the rental from the other property, we, we could afford this the second house together. Okay. So you get these first few deals under, and I want to go back to something because you bought this pizza restaurant when you're in the halfway house. How did, how did that happen? How did that come about? Like I said, I came out hungry. And by the time I touched down, like, like I just had sweatpants, sweat shirt, and some letters, and I was just hungry. So I dropped in the halfway house just trying to figure out how to do it. I had to get my driver's license. I, I just got everything just really quick. And then I knew that my, the, my pro- 
my uh, probation officer wouldn't allow me to uh, own my own business. So you're forced to get a job. So I got a job at a construction company making minimum wage, like seven twenty-five an hour. And on the side, while in the halfway house, because they don't let you out the halfway house. If you're not working, you have to stay in, 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 the, in the facility. And so I, I'm using pay phones because you're not allowed cell phones. So I, my, my mom gave me a Ziploc bag of quarters and I was using pay phones. I was calling all over the place and I found this pizza restaurant for sale in Shirts, Texas. And so when I found that for sale, I called an aunt and aunt lend me some men, lend me like 50,000, I think it was at the time. And then she got a line of credit. I got a HELOC on her house and then met her, get, got the check deposited, wired that to the, uh, to the, uh, the seller while in that, while in half, while using the, the counselor's fax machine. I was like, Hey, I'm trying to buy this pizza restaurant. Let me use your fax machine. And, and I closed the deal while I was in the halfway house. Wow. And how long did you own that for? About three years. It just kept, I didn't take any money out. I just kept reinvesting it. My, the guy who was my roommate, uh, who was the guy that did the, you know, the business for the glasses thing. He, he told me like, one thing you should do is always reinvest in yourself. He didn't believe in investing in the market. So he invested only in himself and his business. And so I took that model and said, Hey, I'm going to, whatever money I make from this pizza restaurant, I'm just going to keep throwing it back into the business. So it just, I threw it back into the business, kept growing and growing it uh, for about three years. And I sold it for a hundred grand, which isn't a ton of money. A certain amount of work, but that was the first business I bought and sold at a profit. That was the first time I ever did that. Interesting. And then after you did that, was hey, I'm not doing pizza again. I'm going into straight real estate, oh, or what? Did you have in? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of work. I mean, but at the time, I didn't know anything, and then you just hungry, right? But as yeah, you, yeah. as what I've learned is, as you start scaling and and and, and making more and more and more money, you start figuring out ways for it to come easier and easier and easier. So you're just not going to go backwards. You're not going to go back to how you first started. Um, but what ended up happening was, was kind of a, a, a serendipitous moment. It was like, I was in a moment where I had my, 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 my daughter say, hey, I'm going to take you to Wai'anae for lunch. And, and at that time, you're like, Wai'anae for lunch. We moved out of Wai'anae. Uh, and so I go, Wai'anae for lunch? Who goes to, who drives to Wai'anae for lunch? It's just not something you do. And then I go, all right, you know, it's just it. so we go to this building, we go up to the second floor. It's same building, an era called Miley, very run down, a lot of homeless people running around. It's, it's just a mess. Um, but I walk into the second floor unit and there was this nice restaurant. Like the guy made this restaurant, like it should have been in, in Waikiki. And I'm sitting in there and there's an ocean view. And I go, man, this building is nice. Like I, I mean, from the outside, I always realized this building was run down. This is a, it's, this is a building no one just ever stopped at, but man, this is nice. And so, we, you know, we had a lunch, which was actually really good. It was a seafood place. And then I just couldn't help thinking as I'm eating, you know, just enjoying my, my, my breakfast, my birthday with my daughters, like something kept turning in my back of my head while I'm having lunch. I go, man, this building could really be something. It's a nice location. So nice. And so as I walk out, I see a sign that says for rent and it's like a handwritten sign. So I knew the owner probably did it. And so I called it and I said, Hey, I call him the number. He says, oh, you want to rent? I go, no, actually, I'm thinking about, about buying the building. And at that time, I had no money. I had never bought a building. I probably had maybe two grand in my account. I think I owned about maybe about 20 houses or so at the time. Um, but like I said, I'm always broke. Uh, and so, but I always knew. I, just, I knew how to just, I can just do the deals, right? Even though I didn't have money, it's fine. I just didn't stop me. I, I bought deals before without no money. And uh, he said, hey, you know what? Why don't you come by tomorrow? We'll talk about it. And so I came by the next day. He goes, "Hey, you know, I I I, I have cancer, it's terminal, and um, I never thought about it. But you know, now that you approach me, you know, maybe maybe uh, I can sell it to you." 
So I was like, oh, wow, okay. But he goes, he says this, he says, I need you to buy this property and another four houses. And if you enclose the building and four houses, I'll give you a house, but you need to close because I'm not sure if I'm going to survive the escrow. So I go, all right, let's let's do it. So I signed the docs, signed the offer. Uh, I needed, I I needed a hundred grand. That's what I needed to come out of my pocket. I, I, I did the deal where I got bank financing for, for part of it. Um, I got him to sell the finance, some of it. And then I needed a hundred grand. And so I called my partner because I bought the pizza restaurant with my partner. It was my, my best friend as well. I said, Hey, um, you want to buy me out? And he goes, uh, yeah, well, how much? I said, give me a hundred grand. He's like, oh, deal. So I sold him the, my half of the pizza restaurant for a hundred grand. And I, I bought, uh, the, uh, commercial building, three-story commercial building and four homes. And it came with an extra house. Wow. That is wild. So really that pizza restaurant was what springboarded kind of a lot of this from one thing to the next to the next that allowed you to, to really get rolling with that commercial building and then the four plus one houses. That's kind of, well, that's like I said, that's my mentor who was my, like my roommate. He kind of taught me, he just said, just keep, just keep rolling it. And I think what had happened, uh, you know, with, with my properties and, and money that I'd get, and I get, and I just kept fueling that fire. I list, I just kept my expenses really low, just live extremely, extremely frugal. And just kept rolling the money over and over and over and over until it kind of just starts starts to snowball. Yeah. Do you still keep in touch with with these these mentors and these individuals that that you met in prison that were so helpful with so many of the things you decided to do? Uh, yes. Some. Yes. Some. Some that I. I my. Yes, I do. Um, but not as often. I think what has happened for me is I mean you'll look back and you'll say hey thinking about you you know love you bro things like that. Um, but I think for me, because my life has grown so quickly, the growth of my life was a reflection of how much I felt like I needed to grow because I wanted to grow and I continued growing so much. Some of these mentors that helped me kind of, I kind of transitioned out of it. I hate to say that. It's kind of weird. It's not like, you know, I kind of transitioned into a different area, whether it's, whether they mentored me in certain areas and now I'm like more focused in real estate and, and how, what. Their, their help and their mentor for me was perfect at that time but because I'm kind of in a different, whether in a different direction or, or uh, sometimes maybe, maybe I outgrew them. Some of some I outgrew and some I went into a different direction. And so, but they, they helped me give me that direction at that time, you know, whether it is not to go like Rex, I mean, unfortunately he's, he, he probably passed already by now because he was pretty old. Um, but he's, he's a medical inventor and his thing was just completely, you know, completely different. But I, I, over time, I have, um, my mentors have, have transitioned and I've attracted mentors who are kind of more maybe specific to my life in the way it is now. This show is supported by Delete Me. In today's digital age, our personal information is more vulnerable than ever, often scattered across countless websites and databases. Delete Me has been my solution for taking control of my online presence and ensuring my personal information remains private. Have you ever heard of data brokers? They collect information and make it available to any stranger on the web, which can lead to identity theft. If you've ever been the victim of identity theft, you know it can be a nightmare. It can ruin your chance at the new job you want, lead to legal issues, or worse. Delete Me removes your information from hundreds of data brokers. The best part? The service doesn't stop at a one-time removal. Delete Me provides ongoing monitoring to ensure that your data doesn't reappear. If it does, they take immediate action to remove it again. So what are you waiting for? Don't let your online past define your future. Take control with Delete Me. 
Now get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash MU20 and use promo code MU20. The only way to get 20% off is to go to join, that's J-O-I-N, deleteme.com slash MU20 and enter promo code MU20 at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash MU20, promo code MU20. And thanks again to Delete Me for supporting today's episode. Yeah, no, I think you bring up a, a great point there that, you know, sometimes in certain phases of our lives and even our, you know, wealth building journeys or even in life in general, sometimes we may have a mentor that's critical for that time period. And maybe you do outgrow, you know, whatever mentorship they could provide, or maybe they outgrow or maybe go on to do different things or you know, I look back on, on my life and I have several of those where at that period of time they were very critical, but I maybe wouldn't call them now for anything in, in particular other than just to catch up and see how they're doing, you know, just given that That's my the life trajectory is taking a different route and so is theirs or they're on the same one previously, but they're 20 years ahead of me or whatever. So I, th- I think that's, you know, I think it's important to acknowledge too, that sometimes maybe, you know, you can't get caught necessarily with this not caught, but have that same mentor, you know, that may kind of keep you here or you're here and you realize you've got to, you know, move on to a different thing. Sometimes it happens with friendships and happens with all sorts of different relationships that we may have in, in life in general. So at this point you, you grow your net worth to 20 mil COVID hits. What are you thinking as all these deals start to kind of fall apart, escrow gets pulled? I mean, stress levels, are you going through the roof? Are you thinking everything I've worked through for my whole life at this point may disappear? What kind of was your thought process as all that was positioning and, and your net worth was kind of decreasing over time there? I knew just when, the way I set up my my model, I knew it wasn't I wasn't going to get wiped out. Every every property, it's its own separate deal. That's one thing I I, I Followed to do early in my career. Like every property was going to be its own deal. I was going to have, I've read of developers or investors would have this collapse and cause a domino effect, you know, throughout their whole portfolio. And it's like, no, nah, that's not going to happen to me. So every deal is its own separate entity. It's its own separate structure. Um, if, if a deal is to fall, it's going to fall on its own. It's not going to take anything else down. So I knew I had, I had set up myself in that way for it not to be completely wiped out. I was fortunate enough to, uh, I, I I would say lucky. I, I'm not going to say I was, I, it was thought out in that way, but I was fortunate that a big portion of my real estate is a Section 8, a low-income housing. So it was never threatened during COVID. You know, government always going to pay that check. And so the biggest area that I that struggled when COVID happened, it was, you know, the like development projects uh, and the commercial buildings. You know, those, 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 kind, of, those kind of took a hit. Um, but again, that's not a very large portion of my portfolio. My commercial buildings, probably maybe, maybe 20%, you know, my development is probably maybe, you know, 10%. I, I didn't get into development until I had a, a, a substantial amount of, uh, uh, income coming in from my, my real estate. So I felt safe enough to jump into, into development because development can take a long time. You know, you can be in deals for quite a, quite a long time. And so I needed something coming in in the meantime while I'm, while I'm working on some of these, on these development deals. But COVID happens, I'm trying to make this work. I'm still in my grind. Um, and then, I don't know, I think a point came to me where I felt like, um, well, like I ended up having a heart attack prior to COVID, just prior to COVID. And I think it, it started making me realize, you know, maybe COVID is the time for me to just kind of chill out for a bit, just kind of uh, reset, uh, uh, kind of take some things off my plate, kind of regroup. 
uh, reassess my life because I have created, you know, quite a bit of success for me. Anyway, it was, it was, it was, it was a lot of success for me. And so I felt like it was a time to, to, to spend more time with me. That makes sense. And so I, I started to liquidate some properties. I got rid of some of my big projects, you know, I bought a ticket, went to the mainland, jumped in the car and just drove. I just started, I just decided this was going to just be with me and just kind of go wherever the wind goes and have no responsibilities and tell my family, Hey, you know what? I love you. But if I don't call you back, just, oh, don't take it personal. I need to spend some time with me. And so I just spent some time alone, a lot of time alone and just kind of did whatever then, but help, getting rid of some, getting rid of these projects was, was, was crucial in allowing me to be able to do that. And you did the, the, the big road trip after the heart attack. Yeah. After the heart attack, wow. after I got rid of some of, some of the properties, uh, some of my projects, I, I was able to get rid of some of these responsibilities. Uh, so I could minimize the amount of responsibilities that I did have. Yeah. I want to, I want to dig into that just in, in a minute, but first when, when you're going through this, kind of rise you know prior to your heart attack prior to, to covid did you have a target that you were trying to hit was there certain goals that you were really trying to reach for whether it was net worth or commercial building asset value or whatever were you trying to hit something specific originally yes originally um i remember reading a book is it a millionaire investor i think it says uh you know one of the goals in the back it says like acquire million dollars of real estate at first and then and then, then the next goal become a million net worth. And then I think the next goal will come like a million a year. And so I started doing that. Um, but I think originally it was first to, you know, I had all of these different goals that got me there. Oh, I got a helping make an income before my, before my father passes, uh, which he, which eventually he did. And, um, you know, I, I'm able to take, fortunately enough to, to take care of, uh, and financially support my mom to having a certain amount of income. So at first it was like, Oh, if I could just get to 5,000 a month, if I could just get to 10,000 a month, I could. And then I think looking back as, as my needs, my, as my basic needs started to get met, I think the goal became more broader and it became more about making an impact. Um, how do I make a difference? How do I make an impact? And so I, I don't, I, 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 do I have a, a, a net worth goal? Yes, I have, but I, I feel like it's not as important to me anymore. Not now. I mean, for a while before I started reaching up there, I think it became like, how do I, how can I make the biggest contribution? How can I? Uh, help as many people as I can. How can I donate more money? And I think that became a, a, a much more stronger drive for me that, that I'd say probably had me jump from probably five to, to, to pass that 10. But once I got to 5 million net worth, um, again, I still didn't feel rich, but uh, I felt like being more rich did, didn't increase my, my, my happiness much more. <laughs> it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'm so much richer coming. I didn't feel richer or happier going from five to 10. You know, it didn't really make an impact uh, for me emotionally anyway. I think it was more of how can I, how can I, I'm looking at my, my income, I'm looking at what I have and going, how can I structure, what do I need to be, where I need to be financially so I can give this much, right? If I want to give this much, say 10%, how, how much more I got to make. So that, that became the driving force. of, And so I started to give more. And the more I gave financially, the more it, it pushed me to 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 push my my income and net worth more that makes sense like but if i focus yeah. on the giving hey let me donate this and when i when i when i when i decided to donate the hundred thousand to my elementary school i didn't have a hundred grand i probably had like five in, in the bank and i remember calling my partner like oh dude i just did something crazy and he's panicked he's like oh what the heck what happened are you, are you okay i'm like no 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 yeah i'm fine i was like i just donated a hundred thousand to he's like what how are you gonna get the money i don't know but i'm gonna figure it out right so <laughs> 
it became the driving force. Like, I need to figure out how to come up with this $100,000 so I can, you know, I already committed. I gave him the verbal commitment. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm, I'm sensing a theme that, that it's commit and figure out after. I love it. That's so, what I did. I just committed. Were, was giving a part of your life much before you hit that 5 million mark or did it become more of a, a focus after? I think the idea of giving was what drove me because I the, the, the giving part was always there. I don't think I actually gave financially much but what had happened when i was in prison and i had this moment where i I contemplated suicide i was in a i was in solitary confinement and i remember it at that time before i had the heart attack i it it felt like i had so much pain that that was what it felt like what i imagined dying would be like and so in that moment i remember thinking i was thinking wow man i'm I'm not thinking about the stuff that i'm not thinking about you know the nightclubs and the recording studio and the, the money that i made and so it had, at that time, I guess it had kind of dawned on me. I said, man, if life isn't about, if I die right now, I'm going to be unfulfilled. <laughs> and so if life isn't about what I get and what I accomplish and what I achieve, then life has to be about what I give. And I think it was in that very moment I said, from here on out, I'm just going to focus on giving. If I focus on giving in an area that I have the opportunity to get, you know, God bless those people who, you know, get involved in like socials work and just, you know, and, and that we need, we need those people. But for me, I wanted, I, I, Success was important, but I wasn't going to focus on my success. I was going to focus on giving and just give at the most highest level and as much people as I, as I can. And so in real estate, when I got into real estate and I said, I'm going, to, I'm, going to create, I'm going to create affordable housing for low-income families, the giving part for me was just, I got to have one more one other family, I got a house. One more family, I got to get off the, off the beach. One more family, I got, to, I got to put in a safe home, right? So that that my focus became on giving in a way that I can provide low-income housing. Um, but I think it wasn't until probably after I passed, you know, several million net worth uh, before I started slowly, you know, making it a, a financial, financial contributions to the point where it's like, okay, I'm going to make big financial contributions now. and I'm just going to push the needle and, and figure out how to make it happen. Yeah, that's super cool. So back to your road trip that you take, what was it about doing that that kind of led you to some self-discovery of, of uh, you know, adjusting your mindset and your outlook for the rest of your life. There's something inside of me called to me to go to, to be alone. When I looked out and I, and I read, I read a lot of, after I read a whole bunch of personal development books, I started getting into, it's, it, a lot of it started sounding the same to me. And so I started to read uh, a lot of uh, autobiographies, biographies, you know, about, you know, men and succeeded, done accomplishing, done amazing things. I always had this desire in me to do something great. And I noticed that there was this, a pattern throughout history of men going to be alone. Something where, you know, either they went into the mountains or they, something is something where it was important for a man to kind of reconnect. And, and there was a calling. I felt something inside of me that I, something I gotta, I gotta reconnect with that I need to. And I remember having a brief experience of that in prison because even the prison was, uh, uh, extremely, uh, bad place for me and and at opposite one of the best things that ever happened to me the idea of being ripped away from everything and to kind of rediscover and reconnect with, with myself i think was a huge benefit for me and i knew that over the course of the years you know as you as you start to create this identity to 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 be something it's like i have to be like this i gotta be like that i gotta be this way i got you create all these rules on how i need to operate and behave and think you know, and I never really stopped to assess, hey, you know, what, what, what part of these rules are working for me and what isn't working? What part of these rules and things that I'm doing, I'm doing, I did purely for success, which is okay. 
um, but isn't really who I am. And so I wanted to take the time to, to sort of uh, rediscover, what, well, who am I? You know, what, 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 who really is Charles? Not the, the real estate investor, not the guy who, who, who has the accolades, right? Because I started getting a lot of accolades. You know, I, I get somewhat recognized here in, here in Hawaii because I've been in magazines and TV and my stories have been written all over the place. Um, I don't say that to brag, but I would say that because I would, you know, I would notice that, you know, sometimes I, sometimes I do get special treatment by people. Sometimes they do recognize me. Sometimes they see this and, and all of a sudden I'm like, man, am I this, you know, this is me. And I, and I there was a time where I loved it so much that I would try to bring up the conversation. I wanted that recognition, you know, like, Hey, you know, I, I've done this, right. Look at me. And, and, uh, after a while it was just like, man, this ain't, this ain't me. Like I've not, I couldn't have been born to and made to, 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 to be this, you know, that's something that I did. And so I just wanted, I needed the time to figure out who am I and, and, and do it during a time where I choose to do it and not a time where I'm forced to do it. Cause I think people can choose to take the time to, to, to evaluate and reassess who they are, what they stand for, what, what, you know, what values they have, or you're going to be forced to do it by, you know, you're going to crash and burn like how I did in prison. And I was forced to come face to face with my identity and, 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 and see that things are going horribly wrong and that you need to make a change now, or I could actually go, Hey, let me, let, let me, let me stop for a moment and, and be quiet and see where I'm at. How long did you take that journey for? I mean, how many weeks, months, days? I think it, it, it was here and there. Cause you know, getting away from my, my, my business was, was kind of a challenge. So I would, I might be gone for like a few weeks in the mainland and I come back and then I would I was gone. I was gone a lot during COVID. I traveled a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I mean, fortunately, because I have a bunch of real estate, it was, it was considered, what is that term? Like emergency. Well, you, you got, you got, you got, I got a special email. I got an email from the, the, the DOD uh, that allowed me to come and go as I please in and out of Hawaii. Whenever, so when everyone was locked down, I was like, wow, like yeah. only traveling. And so it, it was um, essential it, work for it, you. It, it varied. Essential worker, exactly. That's what it was. It was essential worker. Yeah. Um, and so I was, I was gone quite a bit here and there. Uh, maybe probably for a total of maybe around a year, maybe. Um, I mean, the longest stretch I probably did was maybe a couple months. But I drove from from West Coast to East Coast and back by myself, hmm. just and going wherever randomly. You know, yeah. just allowing myself to go wherever I go because you know we some you know we live on a schedule and you got to this and there's so much responsibilities and I got to do this and you might meet someone that you 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 you're having a great conversation with, but it's like, okay, I got to go. Or I got to go to this next meeting. Or it was, I just allowed myself to just go anywhere and everywhere and just kind of like let go. I remember reading this book. I think that's kind of what helped inspire me. It was a book called Surrender Experiment and how the guy just, you know, and he became like a billionaire, created like the largest, one of the largest software companies in the US. And that just inspired me to go, you know, trust God, trust, trust the universe and just say, hey, you know, maybe I don't need to be in control as much as I think. Let me just take my hands off the wheel and then see what happens. And it was one of the most beautiful, amazing uh, uh, experiences for me that helped kind of, you know, shape my life to where I'm at now and where, where I'm going. Cool. And I appreciate you sharing. Well, let's wrap up with some rapid fire questions. What's the most expensive pair of shoes that you've ever purchased? Oh, uh, maybe my basketball shoes, like $120. Okay. What about the most expensive meal out that you've paid for? Expensive meal. I, I bought a pretty expensive meal. Uh, I think it was in Vegas. I love the experience. I, I was, it must have been like for two. Um, obviously, you can pay for a whole group, but just for two, I think it was like maybe 300 something. Okay. 
What about the most expensive experience or vacation that you've been on? Most expensive experience was uh, last year. Um, but during my engagement, I, I had sent, we took the whole family to uh, San Diego, uh, where I proposed to my, my, my fiance, my wife now. And then we went to Disneyland, spent about maybe 45000 on that trip. Okay. What is the most fun that you have had with money? Most fun. <sighs> most fun. I would probably say that during my, my wedding, I think my wedding uh, took my wife. We, we eloped. We went to Europe. So I took her on a Europe, European trip. We went to London, uh, Madrid, got married in Rock of Gibraltar. Uh, her favorite movie is Casablanca. So I took her to Casablanca, Morocco, uh, Rome. So we just went kind of just did everywhere. Nice. Did it all. Yeah, Good and, for you. And get married and, 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 you know, have our honeymoon. It was probably the most, one of the most amazing experiences. Nice. What's the craziest thing you've ever done to earn money? Sell drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Sell drugs, make my way to the top of a great organization and, and go to prison. <laughs> Eight and a half years. Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, what's a closely held belief that you once had that you've recently changed your mind on? Closely held belief I had that I recently, thinking is overrated. How so? Uh, our thoughts are only a collection of our past up until now. And they're very rarely useful to helping us to resolve or, or come up with solutions, what we're going to deal with in our future. If you're in the path of wanting to create and do more, if you're in the path of doing more, creating more and achieving more, then our thoughts and our minds are just files of, of, of past. You know, um, can they benefit? Sure. But are, is, is that the biggest benefit that's going to help, help, help you move in the direction that you want to move? No, because what you're about to do has not been done. If you're growing and moving forward. And so I believe that that thinking is thinking is just way over. Is it important? Sure. But I think it's important that it is used in a way that it is designed to use. Like you, you have scheduled a time to think. I'm scheduling this time to to plan out, to think what is my goals, what are my future, how am I gonna achieve it? What's my day like? Uh, once all that stuff is planned out, and this is just go for it. You know, be present. You know, we're human beings, we're designed to be in our beingness and in emotional state. Uh, uh, but once you go in our head, it's just, it, 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 it affects everything we do. Whether you see people who, who perform, the people who perform the best, whether it's singing or dancing, you can tell when they're nervous and they're in their heads and you can tell the ones that are just there and they just show up. And they might not even be the best at what they do, but they're doing it really well, right? It's just, I'm all here and I'm doing it. And, uh, but it doesn't matter because you feel them present and, and, and that, that presence, it is what required to succeed in all things. You want to succeed in your relationship? You need to be present here. I'm all here in my body, not in my mind, not thinking, not wandering in the past or in the future, right? You want to have a great relationship with your children? You need to be all there. You want to be able to do amazing real estate deals and negotiate deals and find deals? You need to be all there. So thinking is overrated. What is a key lesson that you learned from childhood? Oh, key lesson I learned from childhood. Uh, let's see, I think the key lesson from that I learned is, I guess in looking back, in looking back and, 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 and looking back at my childhood as an adult is that I, I, I've appreciated everything that I've gone through. I've had some really, I had a tough, tough upbringing, right? My mom was very abusive physically. Uh, she tried to kill me, tried to stab me, tried to poison me a few times. And, and so it's, it's one of those things that has, has, has shaped me. I like what Tony Robbins says. My mother was the mother that, that I needed, uh, that I wanted, that I wouldn't be the person that I am today. And so she, 
she, she had helped shape me in a way that, 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 that I'm glad that I don't carry a resentment towards her for that. And that gift that she gave me, oddly enough, and this is why I think sometimes trauma is really beneficial as long as you can manage it, uh, the manage the downsides that the, the abuse that she gave me kind of like shut me down emotionally, which had, had really helped me to become a good leader, right? In the moment of chaos, right? Just when everybody tells man, and everybody's like losing their heads and, and flipping out. I can just stay extremely calm and I can, I, I can make great decisions. That's kind of, that's kind of my strength. And I go, ah, you know what? It's lucky that my mom beat me when I was a kid. Cause that's kind of, that, 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 that's how I was able to do it. Right. But I also have learned to manage the downsides of it because that plays out in my relationships, being emotionally unavailable, um, you know, kind of not being able to, to connect. And so I've, I've, I've had to learn how to uh, be able to, to, to manage the downside of that as well. Awesome, Charles. You've given us so much great advice, but is there any last pieces that you would give to somebody who's just starting out on their journey? Yeah, you know, I get this a lot. I get this a lot. You know, uh, everybody goes, what advice and what do you, you know, what do I guess? And I think if I could just nail it down to one thing, I uh, would be, um, man, it's not more information. You can find any information out there. You can find anything. So how to, you know, when people ask me, Charles, how did you do this deal? Hey, Charles, how did you do that? How did you make a million dollars? How did you, you know, become, you know, give, I want to give the way you give to it's, it's not information. You're not looking for information, not, not all the time, but I think the vast majority of the times when people are looking for information, they're looking for validation. They're looking for, for, for a reason to convince them themselves that they can do it. I think the most important thing, I think the question isn't, I think the most important question, I think that people should have isn't so much how. Yes, it is how, and you go find out, and there's information out there. It's readily available. But if, if the how was the answer, then that means everyone who has access to the information how to do it should do it. But that's not the case. And I think the most important question is, is, um, is why. Why do you do it? And we hear it all the time. You're around this arena all the time. If you have a strong enough why, you can, you, you can create it. And, and if you look back to what I've shared in my story, it was like, and I just had a strong reason. I had very, very, very strong why that drove me consistently. And when the why is so strong, is there challenges? Yes, but the challenges just seem so small. It just bulldoze. You'll just bulldoze your way over anything. Right? I'm in halfway house. No problem. I don't have money. No problem. I don't have credit. No problem. Right? I don't have tax history. Right? I bought properties. I think by the time I said my, my first, you need three years uh, of tax returns. I think my first three years out of prison, I already had like 20 something properties, right? So how to ain't really, it ain't, ain't the question. The question is why, why do you want, and just keep stacking the whys and then don't think about it. And just, if I, I could talk myself out of anything, right? I can be like, oh, I got to go to the gym. Oh, but I got to get ready. And then I got to go this. And then I got to cut my clothes. I can't think how to drive. Like I can talk myself out of anything. I know that I'm human. So I realized that well, the moment that thought comes, this is what I need to do. Just get up and do it and, and, and figure it out along the way. Awesome. That's Charles with a net worth of $12 million. Thanks for coming on the show today. Oh, glad to be here. Thank you for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.